Good morning. It is a privilege to be with you this morning, uh, both uh, just as God's people to gather, to worship, to sing praises to his name, but then it's an immense privilege just to bring God's word uh, to you this morning. Uh, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So that is the fifth book of the Bible, so the end of the Pentateuch there. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 18, we'll spend a little time there. We're actually going to be all kinds of places in the scriptures this morning. And I'm not going to apologize for that because at Passage Baptist, we teach the scriptures. And so there's going to be me referencing quite a few things this morning. Um, but I'm going to have you turn to a couple places. But it's the word of God that has the authority. It isn't my words. Uh, and so we want to hear from God's word together this morning. When we look at the Old Testament, which you're turning to, we see a lot of history. There is so much history in the Old Testament. It starts with creation, and we then have the life of Abraham for, for many chapters there in Genesis. Uh, we have the Exodus and Moses and that whole bit of history. We have the, the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel where they're wandering for, for 40 years in the wilderness. And then it moves into the conquest of the land. You've got the periods of the judges. You've got the periods of the kings. You've got the captivity. Like, there's a lot of history there in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful story of God's redeeming grace when we look at it. But what you have in the Old Testament as well are shadows. You have shadows of the past. Uh, and so Hebrews 8 says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. They serve, the writer says this, they serve as a as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. He's talking about the priesthood in the Old Testament. Aaron and all the way through the priesthood. And they were shadows of something. Well, what are they shadows of? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians. Uh, he's, he, he, he's in a section there in Colossians 2 where he's talking about these different elements of Old Testament worship. And he says, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And when you think about a shadow, we've got the sun shining this morning, which is great, and there's shadows coming in up on the wall. But that's not the real object. The real object is what is between the sun and the shadow. And the, the, the scripture tells us that when we look at the Old Testament, Christ is the substance of those shadows. Uh, Hebrews, again, we see this in chapter 10. Uh, the writer says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. And so the Old Testament, so much of it, is pointing towards something. It is a shadow of something. And we already saw in Colossians that it is Jesus that is the substance of that. Now, those events happened in the Old Testament, those people were real, uh, but they're a part of God's sovereign plan of history, because history is actually writing a story. History is just not random, and sometimes we need to remember that, that when we look in the past and when we look in the present, even five years, 
five years ago, ten, ten years ago, but 3,000, 4,000 years ago, there is a plan in the mind of God that is writing a story through time. And that's what he is doing. And we see that in the pages of the Old Testament. But it's not just history writing this story, right? Creation itself screams of this. You look at a sunset or the vastness of an ocean. You look at a baby being born. Or even as you like to see the news and you see a daring rescue of some kind. Or you see marriage or church life. These things in creation are also telling us a story. They're telling us a story. And so, which brings me to this series that we're starting. Uh, just three weeks of a series on uh, this this uh, series on on Advent. So Advent, arrival, coming. And so when we're thinking about Christmas, it's the Advent season. It's the coming of the Lord Jesus, the arrival of the Lord Jesus. Uh, you can find Advent calendars everywhere when you think about going to the shops. And uh, we have one that we, we use as part of family worship. But, you know, it, most of the time it's just your anticipation of Christmas Day. I think most people in our uh, states and in our workplaces, they're just anticipating Christmas Day. There's gifts. And there's family, and there's food, and that is the anticipation. But in the Christian worldview, in the biblical worldview, Advent is the anticipation that Jesus is coming. And so we know that Jesus has come in the first Advent, but there is a second Advent coming, and his second coming could happen any moment. And so when we are looking at this, uh, or when we're going through this series, there's going to be three different messages, all looking at three different shadows from the Old Testament. Uh, and so we know that Christ is the perfect fulfillment. He's the complete substance. Uh, he is the one whose these bits of history are a shadow of. Uh, and so when you're when we look at the Old Testament, there were three different offices in ancient Israel. And I don't mean like, you know, that little room where you go and you do your work with your computer, <laughs> uh, you know, in your books. An office meaning meaning a position being held, a position of service or authority. You can think of the, the office of the Tishuk. You can think of the office, and office of the president or the minister of justice. Those are offices being held. We have offices in the church. You have the office of elder. You have the office of deacon in the church. So it's a position of service or a position of authority. And in the Old Testament, there were three primary offices of mediation. Mediation, the idea of going between, uh, of, of, uh, of someone standing in the gap, the idea of mediation. And so one of those offices was prophet. And so a prophet was the spokesman for God. He spoke on behalf of God to the people. So when we look at the Old Testament, there are loads of prophets, <laughs> loads of them all throughout. But what I want us to understand is that all the prophets and their messages that we read are all shadows of Christ and his story, his history. There's also the office of priest in the Old Testament. And so this priest spoke to God on behalf of the people. The prophet spoke for God to the people, but the priest speaks 
to God for the people. And so in the Old Testament, from Aaron moving through uh, Israel, even to the New Testament time, there were priests. All of the priests and all of their sacrifices that they brought are all shadows of the Lord Jesus. That's why that history exists, to show us Jesus. And then the final office of mediation in the Old Testament was the office of king. The king was to rule over the people as God's representative. That's what the king did. And so when we look at the Old Testament, all the kings and all of their conquests that we read about are shadows of Christ. Now, all the prophets, all the priests, and all of the kings in the Old Testament were completely imperfect. They're shadows. And so you can think, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about so-and-so? What about this person? And what about Saul? And what about this? Yeah, it was very messy. But they're just shadows. And when you look at the ground here, there's shadows of this tree out there. It's a very unclear picture. But it is a picture of a tree. And that is what the Old Testament brings to us. In fact, the entire Bible, this entire book is about Jesus. From front to end, it's all about Him. And so then we can apply these offices to the work of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a priest. And He's not just a king. You see, He's the perfect union and the perfect fulfillment of all three of those. In the Old Testament, those offices never overlapped. So you never had the same person as prophet, priest, or king. And whenever there was a muddled mess-up of that, usually God's judgment came, because He did not want those offices mixed. But when we see the Lord Jesus, we see that He is the perfect union of prophet, priest, and king. And so these three Sundays, today, next week, and the following week, are going to be talking about the fact that the prophet has come. That's what I'm going to talk about today. The prophet has come. John next week will preach about that the priest has come. And then Shane, the following week, will preach that the king has come. Because Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he's the perfect union of those three things. And so when we think about a prophet this morning, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is a prophet? I told you a little bit about a prophet. It's the spokesman of God. Uh, He taught God's word to the people. It's one of the main primary tasks of a prophet. In 2 Samuel, we see uh, this, this about Nathan in 2 Samuel. It says, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. In 2 Kings, we see, and before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. In Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me. And Ezekiel, and at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. You see, there's this pattern in the Old Testament of prophets hearing from the Lord and speaking to the people on behalf of God. They taught the people the truths of God. Often, very often, this involved calling people to turn from their sin and to God. Ezekiel did this. Joel did this. Jonah did this. Although reluctantly, but he did did do it. 
Nahum did that. Haggai did that. Zechariah did that. You see that all over the place that the people, the prophets of God were calling the people to turn from their sin and to the living God. So a prophet spoke for God, but a prophet often performed miracles for God. We see this in Moses. He turned Aaron's rod into a snake in Exodus 7 to show Pharaoh that there was power behind what he was saying. Moses also parted the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 17 miraculously fed a widow that was serving him. Uh, In 1 Kings 18, his very wet offering that he poured water upon water upon water on was consumed by fire. And the prophets of Baal's offering was not consumed by fire. Uh, Elisha, in 2 Kings 4, he actually raised a boy from the dead. And in 2 Kings 5, Elisha cured Naaman's leprosy. And then, if you didn't know this or not, in Isaiah, in 2 Kings 20, actually caused the sun to move backwards. (laughs) That's pretty significant, don't you think? (laughs) Imagine if our shadows shifted backwards a little bit. And that's what happened in 2 Kings 20. And so prophets perform miracles to affirm that it was the Lord who was behind their message. Prophets also, what we think of when we think of prophecy, prophets, they predicted the future. And so we have Israel's exile being predicted. Israel's return from exile being predicted. God's day of judgment is predicted all over the place. And then, of course, predictions of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus, and of what we're celebrating this month. We see in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin will conceive, and that child will be God with us. Emmanuel. That was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. That's a prediction of the future. In Micah 5.2, we see, But you, Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. There will be someone born in Bethlehem that is from ancient of days. It's the Lord Jesus, a prophecy of where he would be born. And so we see the future being predicted There also was this prediction of a prophet. And so you've turned to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I want us to look here at verse 15. And this is Moses, who is a prophet of God. And he's making this prediction. In chapter 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words 
that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And so Moses here is predicting that the prophet will come. The verse 15 says that. He's the one that will speak for God. Verse 18 says there. And then 15 also says that he is the one that should be listened to. And so a prophet primarily speaks for God. They also perform miracles. And they predict the future. Well, this morning, I want to show you two responses that we should have when we see that Christ is the prophet that has come. We should have two responses. Because just like the people of history did not listen to or obey the prophets of God, we too struggle. We struggle to listen and obey Jesus. And so the prophet has come, church. The prophet has come, so obey him. Obey him. When Jesus entered the world as a baby, he came as the prophet of prophets. We often think of king of kings or lord of lords, but he also was the prophet of prophets. He is the one that Moses spoke of there in Deuteronomy. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. So after feeding 5,000 in John 6, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In John 7, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. When Jesus called Philip to follow him, John 1 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Jesus himself said he was this prophet. In John 5, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Talking about Moses. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And if that doesn't convince us that this is the same prophet that Moses spoke of, we see in Acts that both Peter and Stephen confirm that this Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of. So turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 3. So into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Jude, sorry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 3. We see here that Peter is giving one of his first sermons. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has descended on his body, the church. Peter is in outside the, the, the temple here, and he is basically giving a sermon. He's giving a sermon in Acts chapter 3 and verse 17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, 
whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Jesus is that prophet. He is the prophet that Moses spoke of. He is the prophet of prophets. He is the true prophet that God predicted through Moses. And church, we should obey him. Deuteronomy 15 told us that it is to him you shall listen. And when you see the word listen, it's equal to obey. To listen to God is to obey God. Remember, a prophet teaches the word, often tells the future, and heals and performs miracles. That's what a prophet does. Well, let's look to see what Jesus did when he was on this planet. Jesus taught the word of God with authority. He taught the word of God with authority. In Matthew 7, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He teaches with authority like no one else because he's the sinless one. His words are perfect. Can you imagine someone who never misspeaks? He never misspoke. He never stuck his foot in his mouth. Everything he always said was perfect. He is that prophet. Jesus also foretells the future with authority, like the prophets of old, but better. He talked about his death and resurrection in Matthew 16. He says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You know why he tells the future with authority? Because he writes it. Jesus is the author of the future. (laughs) He's the author of the future. He's written the future. And so therefore he can tell it perfectly. And what he predicted there about his death and resurrection, all four Gospels confirm that those things happened. Jesus also healed and performed miracles with authority, like the prophets of old, but better. After healing a paralyzed man in Matthew 9, it says, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. When he told his disciples that they were going to cross the sea and a storm rose up in Mark 4, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus commands creation with authority because he's the creator of heaven and earth. These bodies that he healed are the ones that he knit together in their mother's womb. That sea that he calmed is the sea that he brought into existence by the word of his power. So, brother and sister, do you doubt the words of Jesus sometimes? I know I do, sometimes. You just doubt his words sometimes. 
But he's the sinless one. He's the perfect speaker. His future always comes to pass. His creation screams of His power and perfection. The universe, everything that you see, belongs to Him. It is His. Who else will we listen to? Who else will we listen to if not Him? Ourselves? (laughs) You know how weak you are. You know how wishy-washy you are. Andrew reminded us this morning that Jesus is the unchanging one. He is the rock. Who else will we go to for counsel, for advice, for security? When Jesus says, love your enemies, he means, love your enemies. When he says, take up your cross and follow him, he means follow him no matter the cost. When he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, he means, brother and sister, shine. Shine. He's not mixing words. He just wants you to shine. When he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Don't store up yourselves treasures on earth. Because this world is not our home. When he says go and make disciples, we go. And we make disciples. When he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we repent. We turn from our sin And to God. Is that you this morning? Do you need to listen to Jesus and turn from your sin? He invites you to do that this morning. He commands you to do that this morning. And when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you can go to him for rest. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. If you're weary this morning, He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Who else are we going to listen to if not the maker of heaven and earth? But Jesus is not just a prophet. Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet. They don't believe the message that he preached that we believe he preached. But they do believe that he is a prophet. They think, I'm oh, sorry, and Jesus is not just to be obeyed. So he's, he's a, not just a prophet. And he's not just to be obeyed. He's to be worshipped. So church, the prophet has come worship him. What makes Jesus such a great prophet? Was it the eloquence of his message? Was it his strategic methods? Was it his charismatic personality? I'm sure that Jesus' messages were eloquent. We can read them. And I'm sure they even were more eloquent in person. And I'm sure that he is the most strategic man to ever walk the earth. And you can guarantee he has got a charismatic personality. But those are not what make him a great prophet. Jesus is great because he is both the subject 
and the source of all the prophets that came before him. So he's the subject. He is what the prophets predicted. That's the subject. He's the content of what everyone that came before him ever said. So when previous prophets were foretelling the future, it was always involving Jesus. Jesus is the one whom all the prophecies were about. It's about his nation, Israel. It was about his future, whatever the future is, because he writes it. It's about his birth, his life, his death. It's about his unending reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember, the Bible's about him. The Bible is about him. Why is Jesus a great prophet worthy of your worship? Because all history points to him. All of creation, everything that you see points to him. And the entire future is his. All of history is moving towards his rule, his reign, his glory. But why is it all about him? He's the subject of all these prophecies from old. But why is it about Him? Well, it's about Him because He's the source of all the prophecies. He's the one that the information originates from. He's the Ancient of Days. When previous prophets were speaking the Word of God, they had to receive it from God. Right? They had to receive a message. Thus says the Lord. We saw that time and time again. The word of the Lord came to. The word of the Lord came to. Thus says the Lord. But in Matthew alone, six times in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus says, I say to you. I say to you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. That's amazing. That's authority. That's the God-man. How can Jesus make such radical statements? Who is he to say that? Who is he to say that? Well, John 1 answers that question. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Danny read earlier also that this word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's incredible. Why is Jesus worthy of your worship this morning? He is the word of God that became flesh. He not only declared the word of God, he's the incarnate Word of God. You can't separate the two things. It's the second person of the Trinity and He is the Word of God. He doesn't just speak it. We use the Jesus Storybook Bible with our kids and they like to read it and listen to it. And the tagline of that Bible is every story whispers His name. Why? Why does every story whisper his name? Because he whispered it to them. From the beginning of time, he was whispering over and over and over through the prophets, 
this is about me. This is about me. Every story, every prophet, every star and planet, as one commentator said, he is the supreme revealer of God. That's who Jesus is. Why should you worship him? Because he's God. He is God, church. The word became flesh. And what did he do in his flesh? What did he do in his flesh? Well, we saw that he spoke the word of God because he is the word of God. We saw that he predicted the future. We saw that he performed miracles and healed. That's not all. Colossians 1 says, And you, brother and sister, if you're following Christ, this is you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. The prophet has come. Worship Him. 1 Peter 2, we should know this verse. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. In His body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied that another prophet would come and we should listen to him. You know what Jesus said in John 5? He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Will you hear him and live today, church? Will you obey Him today? Will you worship Him today? The prophet has come. He's come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these beautiful truths throughout Your entire Word that the Lord Jesus has come. He is the Word that has become flesh and He dwelt among us and He has saved us by bearing in His body the weight of our sin. Thank You, God. Thank You that we have a Savior, that we have a prophet who is perfect. He's a prophet that we should listen to and obey and He's a prophet that we should worship. Tune our hearts to sing that, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to stand and sing together before we have communion. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.